I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. But I don't know about that. Oh, oh, baby. as it comes up, a little Barry White. Uh, it is good to have you guys here today. My name is Ryan Coggins. I'm the executive pastor here, and uh, it's always a privilege to be able to speak on a weekend, and um, count it a privilege especially to open up this brand new series. And every time that I preach, uh, the week leading up, I am reminded, and I probably preach maybe five, six times a year uh, in, the, in the weekend service, I'm reminded of how much time <laughs> And energy and even emotion gets poured into every single message. And I say that to tell you, I do not envy uh, Pastor Aaron every single weekend um, having to do that. He'll actually be back next week enjoying a little time off, a little vacation this week. But he will be back next week as we continue uh, with part two of this series. Uh, I need you guys to do me a favor. Just need you to take a look at the people around you. Take a look at the people on, on, the, on the left side and on your right side. Look behind you, just, some of you guys are too cool for this, whatever. <laughs> look behind, look in front of you, just, just get, scan the area around you. Now on the count of three, I need you to point to the person that you think is the biggest sinner. One, two, three, oh, I didn't say three, okay. I saw some people, <laughs> some marriages today need some mending, they pointing to each other. Um, I didn't actually say three, so don't, I didn't ask you to do that today. Something about the topic of sin makes us uncomfortable. We, we, don't like, we don't like talking. It seems very judgmental, and it seems like, ah, oh, that's, that's not, a, uh, it's not a comfortable topic. And there's a lot of churches that I believe don't handle the topic of sin very well. Um, on one end of the spectrum, there's churches that just... Man, they lay into you about sin, and they, they remind you about your sin every single week and how, how pathetic you are, and by the end of it, you just feel terrible. I don't know if you grew up in a church that had a tendency uh, to do a lot of that and remind you of your sin, and I don't know, necessarily think that that's helpful. I don't know if that's the best way to approach it. I don't know if that's the way. I don't see Jesus approaching it that way. He had an he had amount of firmness to it, but he also had a tremendous amount of compassion and then on the other side, uh, there's people that are so, maybe they're so, you know, disgusted with that mentality that they swing on the other end of the spectrum and they, they never talk about sin. That's, we want everybody to just, let's just talk about bunnies and rainbows and let's just, unicorns, what have you. Let's talk about just all, just light and fluffy and, and we, don't, we don't want to talk about sin because we don't want anybody to feel bad about themselves. We don't want to feel anybody to feel judged or or anything like that, no condemnation. We just want to talk about the encouraging side of things. And don't get me wrong, we need to, t we need to be encouraged. I, and I believe, I believe through the series, you are going to be encouraged. But people shy away from the topic. And I don't think that's healthy either. And there's got to be a balance. And for some reason, it doesn't seem like, however we approach the topic of sin, it doesn't seem to be working very well. And what I mean is, uh, it seems like there's an increasingly... Uh, it's difficult to tell the difference between somebody that's inside of the church and somebody outside of the church. 
it seems like it's just it's difficult to, to tell if somebody's a Christian or not. And um, uh, there's actually like empirical data that would suggest that this is the case. In fact, um, the divorce rate inside of the church and outside of the church is relatively similar. You know, generosity inside the church and outside of the church, relatively similar. In fact, there's some statistics that show that people outside of the church actually give more philanthropically than, than Christ followers do. Uh, there's uh, statistics that show that um, pornography inside the church and outside the church, the, st- the statistics are relatively similar. They're slightly higher outside, but very, very close inside and outside the church. Or even how we manage our money. Uh, statistics show that inside of the church, people typically carry slightly more debt inside of the church than outside of the church. And I'm not here to talk against debt or anything like that, but it, it just goes to show there's, there doesn't seem to be that much of a difference between what's going on inside of the church and outside of the church. And at some point, you have to, you have to start to wonder if, if what's going on on the outside is not that much different. Is there really a difference going on on the inside? And you can totally, I can totally understand um, the hypocritical comments that get thrown at Christianity. I can totally understand those, and I think sometimes they're merited, but it doesn't seem to be working. Well, however we're approaching the topic of sin, it doesn't seem to be working because there's just a tremendous amount of people that, that battle hidden sin. And I think we're all creatures of a sinful nature, and so don't misunderstand me. I don't think you can eliminate that. But there are, I believe we should be set apart as Christ followers. It, it should look different. We, we should live, those statistics should not be true. And so often we talk about adding Christ to our lives, but we don't like to talk about subtracting sin. And, and you can't do that. You can't just add Christ to your life without also talking about subtracting sin. And it's a process. It's not something that just automatic. It's, it's something that I believe, you know, that Paul writes about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. I believe, man, there's a, there's a process to it. But this series, we're going to be talking about the pattern of sin. And I know everybody looks so excited about that. You're like, man, great. I, yeah, well, we're going to talk about sin the next four weeks. But I, I really think we're going to look at it from a perspective that maybe you've never really, never really heard about um, you know, so often we can talk about sin and give you a list of do's and don'ts and say, these are all the Ten Commandments, here you go, don't do any of these things. And we're not going to so much do that. We're going to talk about the pattern of sin, because sin is a process. Sin is a pattern. And if you read through Scripture, time and time again, this pattern seems to pop up time and time again. And I think if we can understand the process and, and the stages of sin better, we're going to have a much better understanding of how to guard our hearts against temptation and how to guard our hearts against sin. Now, despite the Barry Whites, which I, I, I like because everybody, when I came out, was smiling. So maybe we should just play Barry White before every sermon, get everybody just bobbing your head and smiling. But despite the Barry Whites and despite the, the name of the series, The Naked Truth, uh, sounds real scandalous. Probably sounds like we're going to be talking about sex for the next three weeks. If that's why you showed up today, I am sorely going to disappoint you today and the weeks to follow. This series is not really about sex. It's not really about love or relationships. We'll talk about sex because I think it's one of the the biggest hidden sins that people deal with, and especially in the society that we live in. So we'll talk about it. But it's not so much 
sex that we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about hidden sin in general. And so often we put the do not disturb sign on God. We say, no, 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 that area of my life, let's just, let's, that's off limits. I didn't come to church to hear about that. I, I want to be uplifted. I want to be encouraged. And so we're going to talk about that over the next four weeks. And today we're going to talk about the preliminary stages of sin. Where does sin start? And I think it's going to surprise you because sin, it's, it's not like just one day you end up and, and you're just entrapped in sin. It's a, it's, it's a series of choices. It's a series of compromises. And we're going to talk about that pattern. So to do that, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the story of Samson and Delilah. Uh, if you open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 16, we're going to be in this story every week for the next four weeks. And we're going to look at what I believe are the six stages of sin. And there's, there's six Hebrew words that we're going to find in this story that represent the different stages of sin, how sin moves from one stage to the next stage. And I think it's an absolutely fascinating study uh, to read through this story through that context. Now, just to give you, before we read, just to give you a little bit of uh, background information, I know some people in this room, you've heard the story of Samson and Delilah many times. Others of you, it might be relatively new to you. Um, Samson was a strong guy, okay? He, he was supernaturally strong. He was buff, just absolutely enormous. I think if he walked the face of this earth today, some people might actually confuse him with me uh, from time to time. And so, something funny? Okay. I'm just kidding. But uh, he, uh, he was a strong man, and he had taken a vow called the Nazarite vow, which meant that he abstained from alcohol, he abstained from being around dead bodies, and he abstained from cutting his hair. That was what people did as, as a Nazarite vow. And they, they set themselves apart to be the, totally devoted to God. And not cutting their hair, it was kind of just a symbolic thing. It's kind of like wearing a wedding ring. It's an outward expression. It's an outward symbol of an inward commitment. That's exactly what not cutting their hair was all about. People would see that. They would associate them. They'd say, he's taken the Nazarite vow. I mean, Samson was a good guy. I mean, he had devoted his life to God. But Samson, as we're going to see, had, had, had many weaknesses. If you read, actually, chapter 13 through 16, uh, but in chapter 16, we're going to read, he had a weakness for the ladies, and it got him in some trouble. So we're going to read about it. Uh, Judges chapter 16, starting in verse 1, we're going to read the first five verses. Now Samson went to Gaza, and he saw a harlot there, and he went to her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come, uh, they surrounded the place and, and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two gateposts pulled them apart, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried him to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Those doors each weighed about five, uh, 700 pounds. He's obviously a strong guy. Afterward, it happened. That phrase, it happened. That's, uh, that's one that you see time and time again throughout Scripture when somebody is about to sin, oftentimes the phrase, it happened. It happened in the, in the life of David, many other examples. It happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak whose name was Delilah. Delilah, the very original valley girl from the valley of Sorak. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him. Underline that word, entice. Entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him 
that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. 1,100 pieces of silver from all these guys, it would add up to about $15 million in today's terms. Delilah was about to get set up for life. She had a ton of motivation to try to trap and try to trick Samson. We're going to stop reading there, though. That word entice, that's what I want to talk about for the next uh, few minutes today. We're going to talk about uh, the six stages of of sin. We're going to cover the first two stages today. I think they're very closely associated. The next week, Pastor Aaron will cover stage three, and then the week after that, he'll do stage four, and then after that, he'll do five and six. Uh, But this first one, entice, the first stage of sin, if you're taking notes, is entice. The first stage of sin is entice. Some translations, maybe I was reading out of the New King James Version. Many of you might be reading out of a different translation of the Bible. Some translations say lure, some say seduce, some say trick. They're all trying to communicate the same thing. And if you go back to the Hebrew word, it literally means to open up mentally or morally. To open up mentally or morally. That's the first stage of sin. Sin starts very, very innocently. It it's, starts out very simply. People don't wake up one day and just say, man, I, I think I'm going to have an affair. Sounds like a good idea, good plan. I'm going to shame my children. I'm going to wreck my relationship with my wife. I'm going to throw it all away. I'm going to compromise uh, even my career. I'm going to do all of that for just a cheap thrill. People don't wake up and one day and just say, that, that sounds like a good idea. People don't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to just go embezzle millions of dollars. I mean, that's just, I'm not trying to make light of any of these things. But people don't wake up one day and just say, that, that sounds like a good plan. I'm going to do that. They don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to become an alcoholic. They don't wake up one day. I mean, if you talk, uh, I've talked to several people and you talk, there's a very strategic pattern of sin. And it starts out so innocently. It starts out so, you'd even say, man, that's not. Why would that be a bad thing? Why, why would that lead to anything more? But it's simply when we begin to be opened up mentally or morally to something that we begin that first stage of sin. Sin is a process. Paul, uh, excuse me, James writes about it in James 1, 14 and 15. He says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and there's that word again, enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. It starts out with just being enticed, being opened up mentally or morally to something. And we often think, well, what's the big deal? Man, it's, it's just a drink. Drinking's not a sin. Drunkenness is, but I know where to stop. I know where that line is. It's just, man, it's just a it's just a TV show, for crying out loud. What's wrong with watching a show? What, what's wrong with watching that movie? It's just a movie. I'm not going to let that affect me. And have you ever said that, like, oh, violence, that, that doesn't, man, that, uh, that doesn't affect me, or language, or nudity. No, that, that doesn't affect me. I'm, I, I, can, I can handle this. And we say, yeah, it's just a party. Psh, I, no big deal. I'm just going to have a little bit of fun. Or it's... Um, you know, it's just that coworker of the opposite sex. I'm just nice to them. That's not flirting for crying out loud. That's, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a harsh accusation. I just, occasionally I walk by their desk an extra time or two. What am I supposed to do? Just not say hi and just be mean? And that's not, that's not flirting. 
Did you know that um, most affairs start out extremely innocently? I, w- I was talking with somebody that was, was, was telling about some of the psychological uh, and, and some of the things that go into people having affairs. And a cu- couple of the common denominators, there, there were five of them, but a couple of them stood out to me. Of people that have affairs, it's just, it's just fascinating how innocent it can start. One of them is that one of the common denominators of people that have affairs, generally speaking, is that there's a lot of compliments. It starts out with a lot of compliments between each other. Well, what's wrong with a compliment? Really? That, that, that can lead to something else? I'm not saying that it always will. But it begins to open you up to the idea of something. It's just that, it's just that little enticement. Another common denominator of, of, um, of people that have affairs is that they have the same personality. I mean, nine times out of ten, people that have affairs, they have this, a very similar personality. And so, uh, you know, the guy that was talking about this said, if, you, if, you, if there's somebody of the opposite sex that you are attracted, that there's a, just an attraction, a physical attraction in it of itself is just, I mean, that's, that's, that's not an evil, wicked thing. It's just that person is physically attractive. If that's going on, the person compliments you, there's a lot of familiarity, and the person has a similar personality, look out, run. And you might say, that's, that sounds crazy. Come on, really? Am I supposed to just, you know, just think that around the corner there's going to be some trap or I'm, just, I'm not going to be able to control myself? I'm not saying that, but I am saying that sin starts out so innocently. It starts out with just opening up mentally or morally to the idea of something. There's, there's enticement all over the world that we live in. And the Bible says so specifically to guard our hearts. Just be careful. The Bible says, uh, stand firm lest you should fall. Don't think for a second that you're not susceptible to the same sin that so many people have fallen into the trap of. It starts out so innocently, but when we begin to open up mentally or morally to the idea of sin, we're in perfect position for it to lead to the second stage of sin. And that's what we're going to read about um, starting in verse 6. Judges 16. We're going to read 6 through 16, quite a few verses here, so hang with me. It says, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Afflict you. Quite a, uh, a pickup line from Delilah. She's just like, tell me, how do I bring you down, basically? And Samson, what's fascinating is that he gives in to this. And he, tell, he, he begins to play this little game with her. You begin to think, actually, at some point, maybe Samson's elevator doesn't go to the top floor. Uh, he's, just not, he's, not, he's not all there. I don't know. But he says, it says, And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I should become weak and be like any other man. We know this is a lie. Verse 8 says, So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now the men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, And she said to them, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. It continues, this little game, it just continues. Verse 10, Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me, with what may you be bound? And it's amazing that he he just, he begins to tell her. It says another lie. So he said to her, If they buy me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them uh, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men were lying in wait, staying in the room. 
but, the, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me with what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave, my, uh, weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, she, wo- she wove it tightly with the batten and the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke up from his sleep, pulled out the batten and the, and the web from the loom. Then he said to them, how can you say I love you? When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me all three times. You have not told me with where your great strength lies. And it comes to pass, and it came to pass, when she pestered, underline that word pestered, when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. If we continue reading, and we're going to cover more of this in the weeks to come, uh, you find out that Samson tells her, it's, it's my hair, that's the great secret of my strength. He cut my hair off. I'll be, I'll be like any other man. That's exactly what happens. He loses his strength. He breaks this Nazarite vow to God. Uh, his eyes are gouged out as to add insult to injury. And he, um, he, he goes to prison. I mean, things don't go well for Samson after this point. When she pestered him daily with her words. The second stage of sin is this word pestered. Pestered. The second stage of sin is pestered. Some translations you might be reading say the word nagging or bothered. It's all, it's all the same thing. It's all trying to communicate the same thing. I like the word pestered. I like the word nagging here. I think it adequately explains what's going on. But as soon as you become opened up to the idea of sin, as soon as that, that idea is just, is just floating out there and you're, you've kind of opened yourself up to it, it begins to just pester you over and over and over again. How many of you have heard of this sound before? Woke some of you guys up right there. Ooh. Have you ever heard that sound at 4 a.m.? Oh, man, it's just terrible. I, I have heard that sound at 4 a.m. Smoke detector, battery out. And it is the absolute most tormenting sound you will ever hear. And it, it always happens when you're asleep. I've had it happen twice, both times asleep. 4 a.m., hear this noise. I'm sorry, it's, just, it's probably worse for me because it's just making my ears ring. It's just a terrible, terrible noise. And, um, you know, one of the things about, about when you hear something when you're, when you're sleeping is that you think it's like part of your dream, and so you're like, what's going on? And I'm, I'm a really heavy sleeper, and so it takes a lot to wake me up. I will tell you, I've literally never woken up to a storm in my entire life. Entire life, never, never once. And so this sound didn't actually wake me up. It was my wife rolling over and say, do you hear that? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? And it, there again, come on, there it is. Once again, I don't know how long it is in between beeps. It's like a minute or something like that. But I'm like, yeah, I hear it. What's the big deal? Why does, I can sleep through that. She's like, no, you need to go fix it. And I say, why? Why? And she said, because you're the man. Now, that, that's like, you know, that's like teasing a dog with meat or something. That's like sick him to a dog. You know, that, okay, you're, you're trying to question my manhood now. So then I'm like, fine, I'll take care of it. I get up. I go around this really 
like, you know, I'm in a stupor trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out where this thing is coming from. I go from room to room. Of course, it's, it's the very last one in the house that you check, and it's, sure enough, there it is. And you're kind of like questioning, is it this one or this one? I can't quite tell. And you hear the beep again. You have to wait for it and, and wait to hear it again. And sure enough, it's the one that's the only one in my entire house that I can't get to by just stepping on a stool or a chair, I have to go get the ladder. And so it's about nine degrees outside, and suffice it to say, I'm not wearing an adequate amount of clothing at 4 a.m. And I go out to the garage, it's nine degrees, and grab this, this uh, you know, ladder. I have to kind of get it from <laughs> behind some other things. And I'm, I get it, I bring it in there, I set it up, I'm freezing. I actually happen to have a nine-volt battery, so great, I, I replaced it. And uh, good to go. Then I went ahead and I put the ladder away, mistake. Just learn from my mistakes. Leave the ladder out. I'm just going to tell you. It's, it'll go better with you if you do that. And so I get back to bed. It's all nice and cozy, warm again, no beeping. Five minutes later, there it is again. And so at this point, I have a decision. Do I go get the ladder or a nine iron? And uh, either way, this thing is going to get taken care of right now. But man, I think I think sin, when it pesters us, it's very similar to just, it's just nagging. It's just constant. It's just all the time. It just seems to be, no matter where we look, the world that we live in, the society that we live in, there's just, there's pestering all the time. Many of us are going to watch the Super Bowl this weekend, and, and uh, many of you probably don't really care about the game so much. You're going to watch it for the commercials. I would, I, would, I would challenge you to keep track, keep a tally mark, of how many times you are pestered with sin just throughout, just watching commercials at the Super Bowl, for crying out loud. And I, I love watching sports. I think, uh, you know, I think I'm going to watch the Super Bowl myself, but I'm just going to tell you, there are several commercials that I guarantee you, and you can do this any day. It doesn't just have to be <laughs> the Super Bowl. But where you are just pestered and, and, and enticed with sin, there's just there's thing after thing. How many, how many commercials just use sex to try to sell whatever it is that they're selling? It's just constant. I mean, the, the world that we live in, the accessibility that we have to sin and temptation seems out of control. I mean, just even social media just opens up a whole new avenue. For, I, I know several people that have got caught up in social media and Facebook and, 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 and even not honoring God with the amount of time <laughs> that they spend on, on faith. I mean, it's, be, it's become somewhat of a, a crutch in their life. Or I've heard of people, you know, stirring up past relationships. I've heard of affairs happening through, through social media and Facebook. Somebody just got a message right there, pestering, constant, all the time. It's probably junk mail. You never know. It's just all the time. It's just constant. Can't even go to church without being pestered. Or, or social media, gossip, man, how much gossip happens on social media? How much pride? I mean, how many times do you have to read about somebody's just how awesome they are on Facebook? You know, it's just, just all the time. Or pornography. I mean, in the last 10, 15, 20 years, it's just become a multi-billion dollar industry, bringing in more money than the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA combined. I mean, it brings in a ton of money. And it's just, it's as accessible as ever. I mean, mobile device, I mean, it's, it's accessible all the time. 
or even music. I'm going to sound like my dad for a second because he used to say, when I was your age, the music was so much more wholesome than today. And I'm going to say the same thing. I mean, we were sitting in a restaurant eating as a family. I have my four-year-old daughter sitting right there. And there's a song that comes on that I'm like, what in the world? Like, it's just total, tr- I can't, I literally can't even repeat to you even the context of the song or what. I mean, it was just like, this is, and nothing was like bleeped out anything. I'm like, good, good night. This is, this is terrible. It's just pestering time after time after time. And I don't see it slowing down. I don't see, I don't see, I don't think sin is just become, going to become less and less accessible. I think it's just going to become more and more in the pestering over and over and over again. Everywhere we turn, there's enticement and there's pestering. I'm not here to speak gloom and doom over you or say that we should, I mean, what, what do we do? Do we just eject from society? <laughs> you know, just pack it up, go to the mountains and just, you know, live off the land? I mean, what, what, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to, uh, you know, just completely put up blinders all the time and, 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 and never, never listen to anything, never see any? I mean, at some point, Man, you have, you're going to have to deal with the pestering of sin. Sometimes I think the easiest thing for us as Christians would be if we just had Jesus with us all the time. Like just literally think about it. If we had Jesus with us 24-7, just all in physical form. I'm not talking figuratively. I'm saying like literally Jesus is with you all the time. Just think, would your life look a little different? Would you do things differently? Would your conversations be any different? Would what you, be, what you look at on the internet be different? Would how you interact with people, the stories you tell or the stories you don't tell, would it be different? It's kind of like, uh, have you ever watched a movie with your parents before? I don't know if this is going to translate with everybody in this room. Uh, but for me, when I, um, I remember like a couple times in high school, I went and saw a movie in the theater. And I thought, oh, that's a good movie. And then my parents rent it. And we watch it, and I sit down, and I'm like, okay, it's a good movie, whatever. And you have conveniently forgot (laughs) about some of the parts of the movie. Is anybody tracking with me right now? And when your parents are there, you're just like, oh, goodness, this is terrible. This must be, this must be the unrated version or something. I saw the theatrical version. This is ridiculous. This scene was not in there. I mean, you're watching like the Sandlot, for crying out loud, and the the Wendy Peppercorn scene, and you're just like, oh my goodness, my parents are watching this. What, what's going on? When you have your parents with you, I, I mean, just for me, at least that, that translates with me. It might translate with you, might not. But man, it's just different. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna approach things a little bit differently. When we have, if we had Jesus with us all the time, we, I'm just guaranteeing you, we would approach things a little bit differently. Life might look a, a, a little bit different. I would hope that maybe there'd be things that you do a little bit different. Maybe not. Maybe you're just like, man, I, 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 and that's awesome. That's great. But for me, it, it'd be helpful if I had Jesus with me all the time. It, it would. It, it'd be less pestering, less enticement. It'd be, it'd be a lot easier. And the disciples are facing the same exact thing in the, in the book of John in chapter 16. And Jesus is about to leave earth. And they're just freaking out like, Jesus, you're going to leave us? This has been our only hope. You've, you've been with us in, in human, physical form this entire time. We, we can't, you can't leave us. Come on, we need you with us. You're, you're the only way that we can kind of walk the straight and narrow. And Jesus says to him in, in John chapter 16, starting in verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
It's to your advantage that I go away. It's better that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send you to him. I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Jesus tells his disciples that it is better if I leave. And I imagine his disciples probably were listening to that like, what? How, what could be better than having Jesus with us all the time? What in the world, what could be better than that? And Jesus says, it is better that I go away. For if I don't, I can't send the helper. Now the helper, um, if, if, if you are, are reading it in scripture, is capitalized. And if, if, uh, if you've been around the church for a little bit, or if you've done a little bit of studying in the book of John, the helper, another, another translation says the advocate. It's talking about the third person of the Trinity. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. I mean, I think it's pretty explicit. That's what Jesus is referring to sending his Holy Spirit to us to lead us and to guide us and to convict us and to lead us into righteousness. That's what he's talking about. And he says, that's going to, that's going to be better than having me with you all the time. I'm just gonna tell you that I don't think we can talk about the, the, the power and destruction of sin without talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I'm gonna, we're going to wrap things up just shortly, and I, I don't think I can do it justice by just in, in five minutes trying to, trying to give you a full theological explanation and clarity on, on, on the Holy Spirit and the baptism thereof. I'm not going to necessarily answer all of your questions right now, but I know, I know it to be true that the only hope that we have against the power of sin is by having the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, living and active, not just having a helper with us all the time, but being aware of, that there is a helper here for us, that there's an advocate here to help us in our sin, to help us with the pestering and the enticement that we all deal with. Now, just to give you just a little bit of context and a little bit of theological clarity on this, when you give your life to Christ, that you are what's called, there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. But the Bible talks about, throughout a whole New Testament, the book of Acts, on. It talks about a subsequent event called the, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you at salvation. He, he's with you. But the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a completely different subject altogether. And I'm just going to tell you, some of you right now, you, you, you may have no clue what I'm talking about. You may be deer in the headlights. I can sense that there's probably some people that are like, what, what's, there's a difference. What, what are you talking about? I'd encourage you to read the book of Acts the book of Acts lays it out very explicitly. I mean, the entire book is devoted to talking about how the Holy Spirit functions in our lives and how the Holy Spirit led uh, the early church. And I believe it's the only chance that we have. It's the only antidote to sin. I, I think it's the only way that we can live a life and stand firm against the temptation and the pestering of sin. And Jesus said, I will send a helper and he will be better than me in physical form. He will be better than having Jesus with you all the time. And maybe some of you today, you've never experienced that. You've, you, maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about. Maybe you said you thought it just stopped at salvation. Once you give your life to Christ, that's about as far as it gets. But Jesus says it's not necessary for salvation, but there's, there's an upgrade, so to speak. There's something that, that, that there, there's power that's released in our lives, that we have the power uh, for righteous living, for boldness, for intimacy with God like never before. 
when we truly realize the helper in our life, when we accept that into our life, when we release that into our life. And again, if that's new to you, I'd encourage you, read the book of Acts. We also did an entire series on this called The Wild Goose Chase a couple years ago where we spent five weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. Don't just take my word for it. Don't just take everything a pastor says, hook, line, and sinker. Experience it for yourself. I'd encourage you, though. Uh, the Bible, I, I don't think, would spend uh, you know, a third of the New Testament talking about the Holy Spirit if it wasn't for today, if it wasn't for the here and now, if it didn't give us the power to battle sin. I believe that there's a lot of Christ followers that walk around struggling and begging and pleading and hoping and wishing to be set free from sin. And Jesus says, I've already sent you the helper. Will you simply just let me help you through my Holy Spirit? Let me convict you. Let me guide you. Let me get you back on track. And I'm just going to tell you, there's, there's so many people that I think have tried everything. I've, I've read so many books. I've, man, I've, I have accountability partners. I've done this and that. I've tried everything. And this sin seems to keep popping up in my life. I would challenge you today, if you have never experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life, some people call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to, try, to, to, to read the word and see if it isn't true, first of all. But second of all, simply say, God, would you give me your Holy Spirit in my life? I need it. It's the only chance that I have. Man, I, I believe it's true. It's for today. It's not something that stayed and that was dead uh, with the disciples you read, through, uh, you read through most of the New Testament and the Holy Spirit is living and active. I've personally experienced, I don't know what I would do without having the Holy Spirit living and active and guiding in my life. And many of you, you maybe grew up in a different tradition, Catholic, Lutheran, or Baptist, or something like that. And, and what I'm talking about uh, was never, never talked about before. I'd encourage you to, to, to go on a journey for yourself. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit more, not in this series, but there will be, there will be future series where we'll unwrap it. We'll spend a little bit more time. I know it's about time to, to wrap up here. We'll spend more time on it and give you a little bit more clarity. But I'd encourage you, if you have not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, I think it's the only antidote. It's the only answer to sin and in temptation and enticement and pestering. And maybe some of you, you're a Christ follower and you've experienced that. You know what I'm talking about. It's not new to you. I'd encourage you, though, don't let it become an event in your life. Say, oh, yeah, I remember. Just like salvation, I, I gave my life to Christ years ago and I, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. That was, you know, a long time ago. I remember that. But you've allowed it to become an event in your life that you, you don't rely on on a regular basis. The Bible talks about a constant infilling of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I have leaks. <laughs> and from time to time, I need to be refilled with the whole, I, I, need, I need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need to uh, completely say, God, I, I need your Holy Spirit right now. I'm just gonna tell you, I think it's the only chance that we have. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds hard to believe, but I will give you something that's better than having me with you all the time. I will give you the helper. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. You are no match for sin. I think that's one of the first things we realize is that I am no match for sin. By, on my own power, uh, there's only so much self-control somebody can have by themselves that we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
Jesus loves us so much that he didn't just leave the earth and just say, oh, figure it out. He said, I'm going to give you somebody better than me. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the helper in your life. And today, the question is, will we simply realize that? Will we simply grab hold of that helper that he's already given us? Will we become aware of it in our lives and really look to the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us every single day? The alternative is to keep doing it on our own. And you can try that, but I'm just telling you, (laughs) it's no way to live. We need the Holy Spirit. We need him living and active in our lives. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the power that we can have through your Holy Spirit. And I pray right now for every person in this room who's either experienced the Holy Spirit in their lives or not, I pray, Lord, that you would give us a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We need you. We are no match for sin by ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, we can't do it on our own. We've tried that and it doesn't work. We need your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would release your Holy Spirit into our lives. That each person here would would begin a journey, if they haven't already, of seeking out your Holy Spirit, of asking for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I believe just as you've filled the early church on the day of Pentecost, that you will fill us today if we will simply humble ourselves and ask. We thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.